Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 95, week 95, volume 95, number fucking 95. How you going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Eric from Despised Icon and that will be coming up later in the show. So let's kick things off with our album of the week and our single of the week. Album of the week comes from our guest of the week. Yes, it's the new one by Despised Icon. It's titled Purgatory and it's out now through Nuclear Blast Records. Ooh, man, this album goes fucking hard. The drumming is next level. The guitar work is fucking frenetic. Everything about this album is what Despised Icon do well. It actually feels like this band get better and better the more they go on. Stoked on this album. I think you will be too. Whether you've heard Despised Icon or not, make sure you check out this album. Album's titled Purgatory. It's by Despised Icon. It's out now through Nuclear Blast Records. Single of the week comes from Ether Coven, and the track is titled Flower Crown. This track is crushing. It's intense. It's groovy. That head-banging groove that is throughout the song, ooh, can't get enough of it. If this is a taste of what's ahead, give me the full fucking meal. Amazing track, really stoked on this and really excited for the album it's going to come off. The album it's coming off has already got its title and release date. The album is called Everything is Temporary Except Suffering. It's coming out January 10th through Century Media. So you need to make sure you scope that album out when it comes out. But to tie you over, make sure you check out the new song, which is called Flower Crown. Also this week, when you're checking out that song, make sure you also dive back into our catalogue and listen to our conversation with Pete, who's the vocalist of the band, and he's also from a very iconic and amazing hardcore band called Remembering Never. He was on our episode 84. It's now time for ratings and reviews. We got a rating and review on iTunes from JesusLover22. And we got a 5 out of 5. That's amazing. Love that. Thank you very much. The title of the review is This Podcast Deserves a Subscribe. It says, I have been getting into podcasts recently. And since I'm a giant metalhead, Of course, I've searched to the ends of the earth for a metal podcast. I've heard many podcasts and enjoyed many, but The Mosh Zone is the best around. Great news and interviews with not only the bands I love, but new ones also. Thank you so very much, JesusLover22. Absolutely stoked. Absolutely stoked with the rating and review. Thank you for the kind words, but so pumped and glad that you enjoy what we do we definitely try to do our best and i know a lot of people haven't discovered us but it's great to see that you discovered us thank you for getting into us thank you for sticking with us and also thank you again for the outstanding rating and review much love much respect much appreciated we also this week got a bit of love from zachary miller through twitter and instagram First things i got to say, Zach, thank you so much for sharing the podcast and spreading the word about the podcast. 
You shared it on Twitter saying that the show deserves more listens, the interviews are great, and you can't wait to hear more. Thank you for saying that. Really, really appreciate that. And you also shared some stuff on Instagram saying to everyone, please go check out The Mosh Zone. The interviews are so good and I haven't heard a bad episode yet. Zach, you're an absolute legend, dude. I really appreciate the shares. Means a lot. Helps the show get out to more people. Thank you. I don't know what else to say, but thank you so very much. I'm humbled and I really appreciate it. The only other thing i got to say at the start of the show is if you want to be like Zach, help us out. Give the show a share, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, your Instagram stories, whatever it is, tag us in it. You'll get a mention in the show. Just help us grow this show. All these little things that people do with sharing like Zach did is essential to the show growing. It gets us out to more people. More people know about us. It's all really helpful and we really appreciate it when we see it the other thing you can do this week if you've got some time is be like jesus lover 22 and give us a rating and review on itunes podcasts only takes a minute maybe only 30 seconds but that rating and review goes into an algorithm and puts us out to more listeners so if you've got the time help us out give us a rating and review But enough of my jibber-jabber, enough of my ramblings. Let's get into the part of the show I know we're all tuned into for. This week's guest is Eric of Despised Icon. First thing i got to say is thank you so very, very much, Eric, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. It was awesome to get Eric on the show I've wanted to speak to him for quite a while and finally got the chance to get it organized. And what a great conversation. In-depth, fun, entertaining, everything I wanted and more. We get to know all about the man. We get to know about the band. And it's just insightful and a great chat. Stoked to have him on the show. That chat with Eric is coming up now. So what we do, I'll start things off kind of always the same way. Do you do you remember growing up and there being a band or an artist that opened your world to music being a thing? And it doesn't have to be a heavy band, but just like was there an artist growing up that made you love music first off? Well, I, um, I was born in 78, so I had the chance to grow up in the 80s where... Uh, it, there was a lot of bands uh, uh, coming in, in in the music scene, and also that's something I'm always uh, reminiscent of. Is even though pop bands back then um, they had to uh, master their instrument, you know, they would they would play real instruments. I remember uh, watching uh, my, my uh, older sister; she was uh, she was a lot into uh, new wave bands. Uh, and bands like Duran Duran, you know, um, the guys, they're, they're shredders, you know, <laughs> like the bass player, like he, he has these crazy sick bass lines and, and the drummers, they, they, they all recorded their instruments in the studio back then, you know, and it wasn't like all computers and synthesizers and, and, and stuff. I mean, they were synthesizers, but they were, they had actually keyboard players playing them, you know? So I was always fond of that, of, of watching, uh, musicians just go at it you know and 
and then metal came came into my life a little later when I was about uh, 10, 10 or 11 years old. Um, I went on a trip to visit my cousin in Western Canada. And, you know, uh, I've only, back then I've only been exposed to pop music, you know, like Michael Jackson, Madonna and, and Pet Shop Boys, whatever, you know, 80s music. And she was into Iron Maiden and Metallica, and, and uh, Metallica just released their album Injustice for All. And mm. and as soon as I heard I heard that, I was like, "Wow, what, what is that?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was blown away, and I and I immediately fell in love with with metal music. Like the the opening track, you know, of Injustice for All is is just a punch in the face. You know, that heavy riff and and that down picking technique of James at field it, it got to me you know so yeah <laughs> what about I mean That's, it's uh, it's quite a change from you know the pop music but why you know what about it apart from like the intensity and the energy what really drew you in was it the musicianship and just how insane guys were in the 80s and 90s and still are but like the the technical prowess that they possessed yeah, I get. I, I think there was a, a little bit of that because um, uh, after that, when I was uh, I, when I was a teenager, I was into um, bands like Rush, and and then I I I was following a lot of the sh- guitar shredders back then, like Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and Ingve Malmsteen, and uh, so I guess I was uh, I've always been drawn in by. Um, by uh, musical prowess, hmm. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was, uh, yeah. And, and I remember uh, my dad took me to a Paco de Lucia uh, concert, you know. Hmm. And uh, he's he's he was he was one of the best flamenco players uh, in the world, you know, during his time. So and that was very impressive to me. And uh, yeah, so. <laughs> so what made you want to pick up the guitar? Well, or what age also did you start picking up the guitar? Oh uh, well. When as soon as I got back from that trip, I was mentioning uh, from my cousins uh, uh, when I was uh, ten or eleven, like the the the, the same year, I, I asked my dad to if I could like learn to play the guitar and if he could buy me a guitar. So I'd say around twelve years old, that's when I really uh, got into it and and, and started to play uh, music, but. But but it's funny because back then, you know, my, my dad he um, he's from Spain. You know, mm. I'm uh, my 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 dad's from Spain and my mom is French Canadian. So he moved here when he was uh, in his twenties and he met my mom and uh, and and then I I always grew up with the Spanish uh, culture uh, very prominent in my, in my life and uh, so he said well if you want he said hey son if you want to learn the guitar you'll learn to play real guitar so he bought me a classical guitar and he wanted to make a flamenco guitar player out of me <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i guess that didn't went too well huh? <laughs> but he made a deal with me he said you know what I'll, I'll i'll buy you a classical guitar i'll i'll find you a teacher and 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 that teacher bought that the bought um, i had to buy this like uh, book of uh, lessons and, 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 and charts and my dad said well the day you'll be able to play anything in that book that I'll pick up right off the spot and you do sight reading I'll buy you your electric guitar and your amplifier I'm like cool it took me two years <laughs> so so when, right when I was about 14 years old that's when I, I reached the, the, the goal and the, the challenge he gave me and we 
I went to the local uh, guitar store and he he got me my my first electric guitar and and Marshall amp. So Fuck. so yeah. I guess I gotta thank him, you know, for that because. I had a lot of friends back then that started to play guitar and they, they all quit after a year or two. Oof. But um, I, since I had to be disciplined and make the effort, I guess uh, I stuck with it, you know. Well, it also, I mean, that that, lear- that way of learning, you know, the kind of classical side of guitar gives you a different element of writing as well, I guess, going forward into future years as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's it, it gives you all the uh, the... The, the the backbone theory of, of music you know and and, and it, it also opens up your mind and appreciate appreciation of uh, different uh, types of music as well you know mm. I still enjoy uh, going to classical concerts uh, uh, watch an orchestra play some Mozart or or Beethoven symphonies and I like blues I like jazz uh, I like folk music so and then, of course, yeah. <laughs> you love you love your br- your brutal shit as well, obviously. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, <laughs> I never, uh, I've never strayed really far away from uh, from uh, metal and 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 brutal music as well. I mean, because you know, Metallica got me into Slayer, Pantera, and then Sepultura, and then Obituary, Cannibal Corpse, Side, Morbid Angel, and then the later uh, '90s bands like Dying Fetus and. Uh, uh, internal bleeding and disgorge and devourment. So yeah. <laughs> so what was what was it like for you um, at high school? Were you really focused on music and guitar, or were you looking at other career avenues uh, when you were finishing high school? Like, what was the process for you with music as a career? Was it a second thought, or was it your main thought? No, actually, it was my main thought because uh, when I graduated from high school. Um, I uh, decided to go uh, to college uh, to study, uh, to keep studying music and guitar. Uh, but my main goal uh, has always been to have a band and release albums and, and play shows. Like I would go see metal bands back then. And that's when I got into college that I was like, oh, I don't think I'm in the right place because most of the music students I was uh, I was with in in, in college, um, their goal was more to be, uh, I don't know, like a, a musicians for um, for TV shows or uh, to teach uh, music in university or in high school and. Uh, and I was like, nah, that's not what I want to do. I just want to, I just want to have a band and rock the shit out of it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I, I, I dropped out of my uh, the music degree and um, and just focused on on being in the band <laughs> and played local shows with 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 my first bands in in Montreal here, you know. What was the um, Canadian scene or Montreal scene like with heavy music at the, at the time? Was there a lot of local bands really going forward or is it kind of a scene where you were reliant on other bands from america or europe to come and play no actually there was a really um really strong uh, scene i remember um uh i was in high school and i would go see local shows from bands like cryptopsy and cataclysm you know they were they were just starting out they had their like first album out and there was they were still a, a local band, and um, 
Yeah, so and I remember um, going to see bands like Gorguts uh, that would Oof. that had, I guess, their first international breakthrough. They were signed to Roadrunner Records, so they were one of, one of the big bands, but they were from here. And um, and you know, we always had uh, Voivod that had, hmm. I guess, uh, the the French Canadian uh, region on the map for uh, for, uh, for the metal scene. So. Yeah, so th those were like the, um, I guess the influences or the uh, the role models we had for uh, metal bands. <laughs> yeah, and some good ones there too, like Gorguts and stuff. Like they're still like insane. Like they're one of those bands that just yeah. still to this day. They're, they're actually, they're I think they're at their best uh, right now. You know, mm. for, for uh, their whole career. You know, they. they 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 went through a lot of lineup changes, but and they released a bunch of albums. But I think right now they're they're doing better than they ever did in their career. So now you mentioned yeah. you mentioned there earlier, you know, early bands. So you know, how many early bands were you in, and what was it like for you playing guitar? Was a lot of it just learning to feel comfortable with writing and performing, or a lot of it, or was a lot of it about just um, evolving and growing and taking another step forward. What were the early bands like for you? Well, they were um, they were the best uh, school I could ever had because I don't know. And I mean, when you when you you start a band and you're you're young and you're you're in your teens, you you it's um, it's a rite of passage. I mean, you have to suck. You know, you have to write bad riffs and bad songs and, and play shitty concerts and and jam in the garage and 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 blow up amps on stage in front of fifteen of your friends. You know, so that that that's sort of stuff. All it all happened to me. You know, and I think it just it it makes you a more a better musician or. You know, it, it, it shows you how to be to become professional, I guess, you know, you, you get experience. And um, so, yeah, so I'm glad I went through all these local bands and and I and I got to open up for Cataclysm in, in, in a 200 capacity venue in Montreal uh, 25 years ago. You know, it's uh, yeah, I guess uh, I guess it, it, it forges uh, some character to as a musician you know so yeah well it also it makes you know that nothing nothing comes easy you have to go through the ups and downs and struggles to not only make sure you really want to do this but also make you appreciate what can and may come forward yeah exactly and it's uh, yeah it's it's a it's a real test of uh commitment you know so if you're not committed to it you you'll you'll just you you'll uh, you you'll abandon it because it's a real struggle you know and 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 it could have stayed like that for my whole life i mean i've i'm super grateful that i i had a breakthrough with with one of my bands you know and 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 made it made it internationally and in the metal scene but i i i have a lot of peers here that they're still uh, trying to achieve the same thing and they're the same age and they've been doing it for 25 years you know so so yeah, nothing comes easy, and you gotta work for it, and you gotta earn it. <laughs> yeah. Now you, you mentioned, you know, every everyone listening knows that the band you're referencing that made it in many ways is Despised Icon. Um, you guys formed around 2001, 2002 ish. Um, 
what was it like for you guys coming together? How did it all uh, come together? Were you hunting out members or did it just kind of fall into place? Well, that, that's that's funny because back then I was um, uh, joined at the same time I formed the Spice Icon. I was joining a uh, prog metal band um, with whom I, I still play from time to time and release album in, in between the Spice Icon to album cycles. But I thought that I would achieve success with that band because to me it was uh, it was way more accessible. You know, it's clean singing with clean parts, and I guess it's it, it wasn't as underground as a, and as niched as the, the Spice Icon. And Alex Arian, um, he uh, our vocalist, he was uh, he was a drummer back then. He was he's the original drummer for the Spice Icon, mm. and he had his metal band as well. And he thought it. He would, I guess, he, he was maybe focusing on that. So the Spice Icon was just this side project for us where we wanted to have fun and just like write dumb, dumb riffs or dumb songs that, you know, with slam parts and brutal, brutal parts. And so we, I remember putting a, an ad on the, on this uh local metal website and looking for uh, singers and and uh, another guitar player and a bass player and and through friends or people we've had in common we we've met with the other guys and we formed a band and and the rest is history but uh, <laughs> yeah there was no real intention of uh, making a career out of this band it was uh, yeah it was just for for plain fun when we started out so i guess that's the that's the key, you know. <laughs> if you're into it for fun, it's nothing's nothing good's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, you guys. I mean, what you started out doing, you had two kind of very different things going on. I mean, first off, as you said, Alex was the drummer at the start. He later became a vocalist, but you had two vocalists going on, which was kind of unheard of. I mean, I know we had new metal stuff going around at the time that did it, but you had two vocalists, but also the actual sound of the music was kind of forward thinking at the time and the band, what you guys do um, and especially what you started is now considered kind of like uh, a blueprint that what was used going forward. So what, what made you want to do a two vocalists, but B do this, you know, frantic, brutal death metal and then incorporate the slam breakdown moments into it. Um, I think uh, the about the vocalist thing. It's um, it's just a um, it's just a matter of uh, when we started. We had the, this female vocalist, uh, Marie Hélène. She she was the original singer, and when we started as a band, we only uh, add her as the singer. And Alex and I were really into. Uh, like brutal stuff and we felt that we it lacked uh, that like super low guttural vocal and, and big squeal thing because we've heard that before uh so we uh, we saw steve he he had his um his first band and we saw him uh, play in a venue here in montreal and alex was like dude this this guy fucking, you know, <laughs> he has a fucking crazy voice, you know, he, these, these crazy pig squeals and, and low gutturals and like, so I, you know what, why don't we, uh, why don't we ask him if he wants to, 
if he wants to join. Uh, and 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 Marie Hélène, she was okay with the idea of having a, another singer. So that's how we got two vocalists. And then I guess the real uh, the 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 blueprint reference you're making. Uh, really happened when Marie-Hélène left the band after the first album. It was around the same time Alex wasn't able to play drums anymore because he had this, uh, these tendinitis on the elbows and it was really painful. And he was so much involved in the band and in the compositions and everything. He said, you know what, I'd like to, to stay in the band. I'm just going to try to switch over to vocals and replace uh, Marie-Hélène. But he had such a different vocal, you know, he has like a more like a hardcore vocal. And, mm. and I remember we were, uh, we were into bands like Madball and Hatebreed and, and Biohazard back then. And that's when I guess the real magic happened where we tried to in incorporate these hardcore influence in the death metal style we were already um, doing or writing back then. I mean, did you think at the time when you were, you know, bringing in this hardcore sound that it would be, you know, kind of so well received and become so popular? Or did you just think, oh, look, we're just doing this for fun and if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. Yeah, it was it, it was more of a uh, fuck it, we don't care attitude, you know. <laughs> we, just, <laughs> we just wanted to do whatever we felt we wanted to hear in music. And then we, that's when we recorded the, the healing process and released it. And um, uh, actually, we recorded the songs, uh, two songs of the healing process as, uh, as a demo that we sent the labels. And that's when we got the deal with Century Media um, and, and got signed and released the, the healing process. But then we started to tour. Um, and, and man, that was painful. I mean, we were opening tours for bands like... Uh, I remember this tour, Marvin Angel, Behemoth, and Crisian. And, you know, all, all these, like, long-haired, big metal dudes wearing leather and singing <laughs> songs about Satan. And you had, like, us, like, you know, young guys looking like rappers and hardcore kids <laughs> playing this mix of death metal and hardcore. Man, people hated it. Like, they were, like flipping us off and 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 throwing you know bottles of water at us like booing us in between songs so, so yeah it, it wasn't fun at all at some point we're like why why are we doing this you know this is so so bad you know like just being like <laughs> hated every night after night on tour that's not fun ah. so it took a couple of years and then in, in 2007 bands like white chapel or job for cowboys suicide silence started to to pick up on the on the on the, on the genre and and now things changed for us but um yeah, at first it was uh, it wasn't easy, man. <laughs> Did anyone? I mean, that link up with Century Media at the start for the healing process. Did that really kind of also broaden your listener base? Because at the start, you know, you're probably not getting out because we're talking about a time when um, these 2000s internet still really wasn't a thing. It was all about media and magazines and um, other bands touring with each other. Did the link up with Century Media really kick things off for you? I mean, it got you tours where people hated you, but I mean, that is still getting your name out. Yeah, well, that's, as you said, that's how it worked back then. I mean, internet, 
was a thing, but social media wasn't that much a thing. Um, I think MySpace was starting out mm -hmm. as like one of the first social media sites. Um, uh, Facebook was not even out there yet. And, um, and that's how it, it worked back then. You know, you, you would rec record uh, two songs on a, on a CD and we like, we burned like a hundred copies of it and mailed them to labels. And um, there was this guy from um, California. He was the label, uh, he was an A&R for a label called Abacus Recordings, mm. which started to put out metalcore bands. And uh, he was into us, like he heard our demo. He was like, wow, that band's is awesome. But he, felt that we were a little too uh, brutal or heavy for uh, for the Abacus recordings label. Mm. But they were affiliated uh, with Century Media, and they were wor working in the same office as the Century Media A&R. So he sent it to, or he just passed it to the, on the desk, probably on the, on the desk in front of him, like to the other guy <laughs> from Century Media said, man, you should check out that band and sign them, you know, because I would if uh, if our label was a little more metal like Century Media. So so I guess that's how it, it, it happened for us, you know? It, you so know it's, it's always a matter of uh, timing and being in the right time, uh, at the right place at the right time, you know? Yeah, but in those, in those early years before um, 2007, where I really think the name became the name it is now, were you seeing turnouts at shows or was it really constantly fighting against the fan base that were at shows like that show you were saying when people were flipping you off and stuff oh no it's been a constant uh it was a it was a uh, a two-year uh a two-year a two-year-long struggle where we only toured opening um i mean the booking agent you know because that that's that's how it worked back then you know you sign a record deal. So now the label says, okay, we'll sign you guys and we'll advance you money, but you guys will tour because we are investing money to develop your band and, you know, we want to make our money back. So you guys will tour a lot. We will help you out because you'll get shitty guarantees, but we'll, you know, we'll advance you money. That's all recoupable, by the way. But, you know, you guys got to be on the road and it's in the uh, the, the album contract, actually. Mm. So we were cool, you know. So Century Media got us a booking agent uh, based in California who happened to be uh, the bookie for bands like um, Immolation, Suffocation, um, uh, Morbid Angel, Behemoth, and, and all these, like, straight-up death metal bands. So for a good two years... Uh, in between the healing process and the Eels of Modern Man, all we did was open up for a uh, for uh, death metal tours. You know, Fuck. that would have been um, would have been a fair fair fucking struggle. And being yeah. be, being on the road <laughs> is also hard enough in itself. Was for you guys was that also something it took quite a while to get used to the fact that you were away from home, away from big life moments, but you're also stuck in the same kind of confines with the same dudes. Yeah, it is. It is a real test. I mean, because uh, yeah, you mentioned it. You're you, you don't have uh, you don't have the the, the 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 means you have when you're a, a big band. You know, you don't tour in, in a tour bus, or you don't have a whole uh, hotel rooms or anything. You're in a small uh, a small van. Um, you know, you have to drive. You have long drive because North America is is is, is super big. 
and um, and, and you, you know you you struggle. You everyone gets I don't know like five bucks a day to eat because you want to save up money for gas and and for strings or or drum heads and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So no, it's it, it's tough. I mean, it, you got to be dedicated and you you, you yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. And but at the same time, I guess that's how also you build a um, uh, you know a unity in the band, you know, like because everyone are doing the same efforts to achieve the same goal. So there's there's this there's this camaraderie or or friendship that builds in between the band members, you know. Uh, and, and of course, you go through fights and and through uh, arguments and stuff, but. I guess you learn to accept everyone's differences and, and learn to deal with everyone in the band. And and after a couple years of touring, you're just like a super solid family, you know? Mm. And, and the family, as it starts to bond, you know, you're obviously getting more comfortable with each other, but also your writing process is getting stronger and stronger. And you see that on 2007's The Ills of Modern Man. I mean, that album still to this day holds up, not only with fans, but I think just overall in the genre. It's just an absolute whirlwind, that album. Yeah, we um, we got out of that. Uh, actually, we started to write songs for this album in 2006. Uh, and, uh, we were, um, yeah, we were at the end of the touring cycle for healing process and, uh, yeah, we were, we were solid dudes, uh, at that time and, and there was this bond, uh, so yeah, I guess it, that's how we managed to come up with these songs and these, these riffs. Uh, yeah, there's this magic that happens, uh, I guess for, uh, a lot of bands. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that, al- that album became known i mean i i remember discovering you guys around healing process so i was already into the album when it came out but suddenly um everyone around me was saying god have you heard this album and you know they're referencing ills of modern man it felt like this was the album you guys needed to take yourself to a new level because as you said the scene was starting to blow up with Whitechapel, suicide silence these kind of bands um, did that album really kind of project you to the top? Well, I don't know if it projected us to the to the top because <laughs> I don't know, but um, for sure, it, it I think it it was our it, you know it, it was a defining moment in our career where uh, I remember um, because I, you know. Uh, we never really had any manager in the band. We always uh, been like a self-managed band, so it was uh, it's always been Alex and I who took care of, of the band stuff. And I'm the one that does the accounting in the band, you know. Mm. And I remember when we released uh, "Ills of Modern Man" and we started to tour on that summer. At the end of that summer, I was like, Alex, do you know what? We broke even, you know. We didn't lose money. Like we've been losing money for two years and just borrowing money and, and stuff. And I was like, wow. We actually, I think, we'll probably start making money out of shows and and with this band on the next tour, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, so I guess it was a defining moment where you know because things started to pick up, and that's when we started to uh, tour 
Europe as well. Um, uh, Honor uh, brought us uh, on our first European tour in 2007. And um, and then that, I think that's when it started to get bigger for us. You know, we I think we that's when we broke out of the of the mold of being like a small or a local band. I don't know. So. Yeah, your tours your tours got really big. I mean, I'm I'm still I've still got the copy of the album, and it says you know um, now touring the Summer Slaughter tour. I mean, you're you're getting to Europe. You're playing bigger shows. Um, you're also at that time. You know, you're now playing more diverse shows. You're playing on, you know, death metal shows. You're playing deathcore shows, but you're also playing shows with bands like you mentioned, Unearth. Um, is that something that you guys started to notice that you guys comfortably could fit on any bill, despite being really heavy, but you could fit on any bill? Yeah, I guess that's the um, that's the cool side of um, mixing different subgenres together. Because uh, I remember just before going in a studio for uh, to record Heels of Modern Man, we um, our last tour for the Healing Process Cycle was in support of uh, Hate Breed, uh, Napalm Death, Black Dahlia Murder, and Exodus. Ooh. And also there was this uh, hardcore band opening, uh, First Blood. Yeah. So I was like, wow, you know, that's a really diverse build. You have like Hate Breed and First Blood. Uh, you have Napalm Death that kind of sits in the middle, and you have like Exodus and Black Dahlia, which are straight up more metal. But that's where I think I clicked and I said, you know, we could we could support bands like Terror or Madball, and we also can go out on tour with bands like uh, I don't know, like uh, Black Dahlia Murder or Suffocation, and, and it, it'll work, you know. So it, it started to get interesting for us uh, when we um, we got um, offers for um, uh, different types of uh, metal, you know. Yeah, and then then you guys had you know, which happens with every band, you know, there's some lineup changes started going on. Um, and then you guys released day of mourning in 2009 and not long after, probably about a year after that, you guys disbanded was day of mourning well received or was this just, you know, things got to the stage where enough was enough and you needed some time away. Well, uh, I remember the reception for uh, Day of Morning was was really good, um, if not better than Ills of Modern Man, because um, a lot of people pick, picked up on us on Ills of Modern Man. But when Day of Morning came out, uh, it, it did it did really well, and um, uh, especially with the, that single we released back then, MVP. Mm. I don't know, like people picked up on that song a lot, um, which is funny to me because. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the last songs we wrote on the album and I, I didn't like it that much. I was like, nah, but <laughs> it, it became one of our classics and now we're, we're, we have to play like on every show. <laughs> but so, so yeah, so I think it did well. Um, but you know, already at that time we've, we, we've been a band for seven, eight years and, and we quickly saw that, um, I mean, it, it's it's really ex, it's extreme music, you know. It's um, it, it, so it's really underground. So um, I mean, we we had uh, almost like over eight hundred shows under our belt, and we've already been pretty much everywhere. 
where you can work, tour in the world. So, and you know, we would always uh, end up playing the same venues in the same cities uh, year after year. So we just felt that you know what? Why not just put an end to it and 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 end things on a high note where people have still will still keep I don't know a, a good memory of the band with not too many lineup changes you know and and no bad album or or anything like that and our girlfriends started to um, become pregnant and some of us had kids already so yeah that's a that's how we felt at that time that's why we pulled the plug on it yeah you, with I no intentions of uh, with no intentions of uh, of uh coming back together whatsoever you know that wasn't planned at all i think you did do the right thing though you you kind of as you said you left on a high you know you hadn't drawn things out to the stage where people were sick of the band or people were over the music or the albums um because i remember the you guys did a bunch of farewell tours um i remember you came down to australia um they were so well received as well that's what happened that we 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 decided, you know, we took the decision to um, to break up a year uh, before we actually did. Uh, I remember we had a band meeting around Christmas time in 2009, maybe like three three months uh, after the release of the Morning, and we said, you know what, just let's do it. Let's tell the, the world we're we're doing it. We're um, and and just do like a full year of uh, farewell tours and try to go to places we had never been. And, and so, yeah, that was the whole plan behind it. Now, you mentioned also there that you had no plans on starting back up. So, you know, as everyone knows, you are back up. But in 2014, you guys started playing a few select anniversary shows uh, or reunion shows first off. Um, why suddenly did you get the urge to do some shows like surely at that stage after four years it was it a dead thing for you or were you missing it um well i think what sparked the idea of uh, playing reunion shows was um uh our um our former bass player um max he um not long after uh, we split up he joined the the black dahlia murder uh, and he's still there a bass player to this day and uh, we've been good friends uh, with them because we obviously played many shows and toured with them many times during our, our career. They were playing a show in Montreal in 2014, and we all went uh, went out to uh, to see Max uh, play. And it was the first time in four years that all the band members of Despised Icon were in the same room together. Mm-hmm. And it also happened at the same time that I received uh, this offer from... Impericon to play their uh, festivals in Europe uh, for uh, reunion shows. So I was like, hey, you know, it was we we had so much fun being together again and, and, and talking. And then, you know, kids uh, kids were a little more grown up, and it was easier for uh, for us to uh, free ourselves for a couple shows. And uh, and we just did it. And then offers kept coming in, and you know we. Frankly, we we missed it. You know, we. I remember like the first jams we did back then. I had the same feeling when we started out in two thousand one. You know, just being in a room and jamming music with friends for fun. So that's uh, that's what sparked the 
that's what made it um, happen for us to reunite. You know? When when you came back, I mean, were you at all nervous or you know had a lot of anticipation because you know obviously the the festival and these kind of places wanted you back, but were you worried at all that um, it would just be the same as before, or just be like, okay, you know, we're playing. To X amount of people, do people care anymore? Um, was was there any concern about people caring? Mm, well, not really, because we we you know there was no expectations at all. Because for these reunion shows, um, we we didn't think about uh, write, writing new music or putting out an album at all. You know, it was mm. just reunion show so so yeah the, the, there was no real pressure um it was like i said just really for the fun of it and we really had a good time doing it also so how did how did the what how did the fans go how were the turnouts was it just absolutely off its head how how happy people were to have you back no it was it was like super positive like the 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 reception was great and and also that's I guess one of the things that made us think okay well you know people show up to shows we we get these like awesome guarantees like we're paid like twice or three times <laughs> the, the money we were when we were still a band so we're like okay uh, is there something I'm missing here you know so and uh, and uh, yeah, and and then we played some more reunion shows, and then, you know, with Facebook and social media being a bigger thing now, uh, you know, you 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 get a better, uh, you get like a better sense of uh, of what's going on with your fan base, I guess. You know, you you interact with people, and you re- and they reach out to you, and and a lot of comments were like, you know, we don't care if you guys don't tour, just please put out music, put out music, you know, so. I was like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's try. Let's try to write some a few tunes and see how it goes. And yeah, and then you released. And then that's um, how Beast uh, came about. You know. Yeah, and uh, Beast in 2016. So the first question with that was, how did you guys um, come to joining Nuclear Blast? Was there any consideration on maybe going back to Century Media because you know you couldn't lose either way. Uh, Nuclear Blast, I think, are a bigger label, obviously, but. Um, how did you join Nuclear Blast and why? Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's the thing. We decided to try to write a few tunes and we had, I think, like four, three or four songs down. And I was like, you know, I've seen all these bands do like, um, um, they do like, uh, uh, campaigns, you know, uh, oh, like go, the, the GoFundMe, mm. yeah, the, the GoFundMe campaigns and stuff. So I was like, you know, we're doing it for fun. Uh, we're um, we're not under contract anymore with Intermedia. Why don't we just go independent and try to release like a four-song EP or something? And then uh, we started to finish the songs. And then we had some more ideas, and then I said, you know what, let's write another one, and then another one. And then so we got like, I don't know, like seven or eight songs. And like, man, we're close to having like a, a full album, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so 
we um, we and we did these uh, reunion festivals in in the UK uh, where we were paid real good money to play and, and the exchange rate for Canadian dollars was really bad I mean mm. yeah, like for for a for a uh, for a pound you would get like two two dollars and fifty cents mm. in Canadian money so the exchange rate was good in the other way so <laughs> we just paid for all the recording and everything I even reached out to Andy Sneap, who uh, did the mixing and mastering for He Was a Modern Man. And I told mm. him, you know what? The band's about to come back and release an album. Would you be down to work with us? And uh, he said, yeah, sure. And he knew we, were, we weren't signed or anything. So he, he was really, uh, he, he gave us, he cut us a good deal for the, the mixing and mastering. So we had we were sitting on this finished product for a couple of weeks, and I was like, Whoa. "It's a lot of work, you know, to promote and self-release and 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 put it out by yourself and and take care of a uh, of the distribution and the, the the streaming platforms that we we weren't used to deal with back in the days." So mm. I, I Alex and I were like, "Okay." What would be the number one label we would like to work with and that we love, you know? And Nuclear Blast was on top of our list. And um, most of the people working in the uh, Century Media office uh, back in the days all have uh, moved to uh, the Nuclear Blast offices in LA. <laughs> so we knew a lot of the, we knew a lot of them. So. We just sent sent out to Gerardo, the the label manager in in America. We sent him the full album. <laughs> it was like, dude, you want to check this out? You know, just let us know what you think. You know, we would like to release that if you can help us out find a label or something. Obviously, we were trying to pitch at him, <laughs> <laughs> and his answer was just like, "Wow, it sounds like you guys haven't missed a beat, and let's do this. You guys want to want to release it with us?" And I'm like. Fuck yeah, man. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> That's how it happened. Like, it was simple as that. How was the album received for you guys? Did it give you... Because um, I think it went... I think it blew up. I think everyone was like, yes, fuck yes, Despise Icon are back, um, still in top form. How did it feel from inside? How was the album taken by um, fans in the industry? Uh, well, I think it was... Like you said, it was well-received. Um, especially because I think the deathcore genre, um, had shifted into something different, you know, because mm -hmm. I remember just like a couple, not, not too long after we broke up, um, uh, deathcore wasn't as popular as it was when we were, uh, in our prime days of, uh, day of mourning and stuff. So, uh, and I remember like even bands didn't want to associate with the with the genre you know it yeah it was, became uh, an ugly tag it was it, it was it was, uh, it was suffering from the the same uh, judgment uh new metal suffered mm. from in the early 2000s you know mm. um and, and then people forgot about it a little bit and i guess when we came back in 2016 there was this little resurgence of the genre and um that's why i think it was well received and also because we we didn't shift in our um, in our sound, I guess. We just we just 
sound the same as we always sounded back in the days. So I guess the nostalgia of that uh, helped out a little bit for our fans. You know, they were, I guess, missing missing it. Um, and, you know, when you do a comeback album, I guess people are more indulgent as well. You know, they, they're just so happy that you're back. So whatever you throw at them, if it's not too away from what you used to sound like, uh, they'll just take it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it, what you said about Deathcore it was very true. When you guys, you know, broke up, it became an ugly word. People didn't want to be called Deathcore. Everyone's like, don't call us Deathcore. But you guys were one of those bands that you didn't mind. It was like, this is what we are. We're fine with it. Um, do you, Did you care that people wanted to lump you with that tag the whole time and still now? No, actually, uh, we, I guess we, I guess we got to embrace the term or the, mm. the genre. I mean, you know, uh, in 2001, 2002, aside bands like the Red Chord or All Shall Perish, there weren't that many bands that were doing what we were doing. And, and at the same time, we didn't know what we were doing or, you know, it, it wasn't labeled like that back then. And I remember we started using that term in in some of our merch designs in 2003, where we had like Montreal Deathcore under the the band's logo, and because uh, yeah, we we were just mixing hardcore and death and and death metal, and and I think that to this day, um, I guess what sets us a little bit apart from from the pack is. In our music, you it's easy to pinpoint uh, the hardcore part in a song or the death metal part in a song. It's w- where uh, deathcore, the the genre that was more prominent in the in the two thousand tens, is more just like like slow tuning guitars and breakdowns with bass boost and and it's the same tempo like for the whole song and and with these. Um, uh, Mitch Lukers from Suicide Silence uh, vocals, very influenced by him. So mm. that's what the Deathcore became, you know, when we were away. So, so yeah, that, that's one of the comments I get a lot. You know, when we we got back together, people are like, you know, that's the way it should be done. You know, you guys sound like real Deathcore. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. You know? Yeah, I think also I think the reason you're so popular is because you've stuck to your guns. You're not a band that. You know, people criticize bands when they change, but also they criticize them when they stay the same. Um, your guy, what you do is what you do, but also you're not afraid of being called deathcore because I think a lot of fans started getting annoyed with bands because they would clearly have the death metal and hardcore together, and then they'd say to everyone, "No, no, no, we're not deathcore," and it's like, but you have the elements in your sound. Like it's not a bad thing to say you're deathcore. It's just a just a, a genre, and there's so many subgenres. Nobody really cares. Yeah, exactly. You know, and yeah, because you know, to me, we're it's it's all metal. You know, mm. we're, we're we're a metal band. You know, we're just we're, we're playing metal music, extreme metal music. So call it whatever you you, you want to call it. And uh, but yeah, I mean. As you said, uh, you can change uh, or try, and, and it's a good thing too. I mean, 
uh, I fr my friends in Whitechapel, you know, they don't sound the same as they used to on their first album. You know, they completely uh, evolved in, in in a different direction, and 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 I don't um, I don't blame them for this. You no, know? they and they, now they have like clean vocals and stuff, and I, I know they've alienated a lot of their uh, original fans, but they gained a lot of newer fans, and they're like they're bigger than ever now, and probably because of that change. So. Uh, but you like you said like damn if you do damn if you don't uh sometimes uh, people will criticize you because you sound the same or you stick to your to your sound or you or because you evolve and you you change and you lean toward a different type of music so yeah it's <laughs> it, it's hard to keep up with what people like <laughs> it is and it's really hard to be a creative person with that kind of it's a strange pressure and expectation to have but have you guys ever thought um along the way about completely drastically changing things and also has there ever been anyone from a label or management that's kind of said you know what guys we really think you should do this or this in one of your songs no like i said we never had the real management team so no one really ever messed up uh uh with us uh or mess with us uh about that so or messed up our sound and um and the labels uh they were pretty cool also with letting us uh just be whatever we were but at the same time we were not uh, going in a completely opposite direction musically so i guess whenever they received the demos or the the, the album uh record the recorded album uh they always wanted to release them because they were cool with us sticking to our sound. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's just because, I mean, I play in a prog, prog band where if I want to go crazy and add synth and clean vocals and stuff, I can do it there. But that's my outlet for this. Whenever I do Despise Icon, it's because I want to, it's my outlet for brutal music and and, and groovy riffs and and down tuned guitars and and blast beats and, and and screams and stuff, you know. So, I guess that's why we went in the path where we will we would stick to our roots and our sound, I guess, because you know Alex, uh, he's into hip hop. He had this hip hop project a couple of years ago, so. No, we didn't. We didn't bring any uh, hip hop elements in our music, you know, because he he could do it with Elsewhere. his other project. And so we're never gonna get a power yeah. metal chorus or anything. Like you're never gonna incorporate a mano war moment in the middle of a despise our contract. <laughs> well, actually, we have this little uh, like orchestral epic part in the song uh, "Moving On" on the new album. <laughs> yes, I noticed that, but it <laughs> didn't. I, one of my uh, <laughs> it's not full on. It's not full on man o war. It suits. It suits when it comes no, of in. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta. It, it's good to experiment a little bit, and we try to incorporate different stuff. And we we tried it even more on this on this album on Purgatory. But um, yeah, I guess you have to do it in a in a tasty way. You know, mm. you, you, it's gotta be subtle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, a friend of mine. A friend of mine. He. Um, He's actually a composer for um, video games uh, here in Montreal. A company called uh, Gameloft. He writes orchestral music for uh, for uh, phone uh, phone app games. Ooh. And um, 
and uh, he actually wrote a, an intro for us on the, the Beast album for the song Grind Forever. Ooh. And then uh, I asked him to do the same for Purgatory. And and we went a little further where I said, you know what? There's this this part in the song where you could also write some orchestral strings over it and and, and, and add the horns and stuff like that and and he did it and i think it, it works well you know it's it fits uh it fits the the song and and it's nice but it's different you know we 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 don't have that on any of our other albums no i mean it's tasteful that's the way you said it like you tastefully put it in it's not a dramatic juxtaposed to what what's been going on um wanted to touch on how the band you know is now before we get into a bit of purgatory and you guys now you're still out touring, but it seems like now you guys are doing it on your terms. Like you're picking the shows or um, tours that obviously cater to what suits your lifestyle. Is that been essential to you guys still wanting to do what you do? And also, is it essential to not burning out and wanting to end Despise Icon again? Yeah, actually, you 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 really put the finger on. It was one of the main conditions uh, when we uh, reunited. Uh, because that's how we managed to do these reunion tours uh, in in 2014 and 2015. So it was it, it was put down on the table as one of the first conditions to reunite and and release albums. We were like, okay, we we will do things on our own terms. Uh, whenever every member is available, there's no uh, fill in uh, bullshit thing uh, for tours unless it's it's uh, an emergency or something or we we booked a tour and something happened and one member he's not available and and we have uh, already already been committed with contracts and stuff but you know when we are uh, planning stuff it's all together making sure everyone's on board and is available and wants to do it and you know with kids and careers back home well it the the best we can do is like one or two tours a year about like 30, 30 or 40 shows a year at, at the most. So, you know, we just finished a 24-date uh, North American tour last month, and and that was it for 2019. You know, next time we'll go out is probably next summer for uh, European festivals and, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, so that was very important for us uh, uh, because, it, you know, when we broke up, it was... It was different, you know. We were living off the band, and it was a necessity to to be on the road and, and try to make money out of it. And it was a struggle because we weren't paid that much, and we're we're six in the bands, you know. <laughs> it's not like a like a trio where you you divide everything by three. You know, you divide everything by six and in, in the spies, you know. <laughs> so. It, so that's another reality. So yeah, and 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 we want to keep the uh, the fun element is really really important for us. I mean, uh, and and I, I see I, I see the difference because whenever we go out on tour for like a, a streak of eighteen or twenty shows, we have so much fun. You know, we enjoy it very much. It's it's like going on vacation with a, with a bunch of dudes or of your friends where you're partying every day and and that's how it is now for us and and I think that's great you know because we really enjoy ourselves whenever we go out on tour well you can see the fun is also translating into the music because um, purgatory sounds like the band is still 
as energized um, as since day one to do what they're doing. Um, what was the writing process like for you guys? Did it did you stretch out the writing process for quite a while, or did you really smash it out in a couple of months? Um, actually, I think um, it was probably about a, a year after the release of uh, Beast. Uh, that's when I started to lay down the the, the riffs uh, that would became a few songs on on Purgatory. Um, and again, you know, we we're we're under contract with Nuclear Blast, and um, it's great. You know, we uh, when we signed the, the contract for Beast, uh, they had the two options, so uh, the uh, possibility to release two more albums. So I started to write a few songs, and I, we got back in touch with the label, and we told them, you know what, we feel like we would like to release uh, another one, and uh, they're like, cool, just do your thing and, and get back to us whenever you're ready. So we took about a year and a half, um, yeah, a year and a half uh, to write everything, but we took our time, you know, we didn't have any, you know, we since we're not uh, relying on this for living we don't have to release an album every two years and do a tour a full touring cycle over it you know like most bands or most professional bands do actually so so we took the time we needed to uh pen down the songs and everything and um yeah and uh, the um we also uh worked uh, differently for purgatory uh because Back in the day, when we were writing songs, we would always try to write uh, full songs at once. You know, so you start a, you start a, you have this idea, you start to write a few riffs, and then you work hard to find the next best suitable riff that comes after, or, or that musical part, and, and and then incorporate that breakdown, and then make a song out of it. You know, but for this one, it was different. Um, I remember. Uh, a year and a half ago, Alex would just because uh, he's he plays in a, in a hardcore band called Obey the Brave, so mm. he 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 was quite busy, uh, or he's still quite busy with them. He's uh, often uh, he's uh, out for a month or two on tour and stuff like that. So we have to carefully uh, <laughs> uh, book uh, like uh, writing sessions together, so he's available and 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 he meets me at my studio and then. We would sit down and write uh, music um, uh, parts or, or moods uh, instead of trying to write so full songs. Uh, he would show up. I remember he would show up in my place and say, man, I get this crazy uh, uh, breakdown idea. I'm like, cool, man. Just let's let's work on that. And, and then we would maybe write for uh, five or ten minutes of, of breakdowns and slam parts and, and heavy, heavy parts. And then a couple days after he comes to my place and he goes, you know, I got this idea for like super fast grinds and, and blast beats and fast parts. I'm like, cool, let's let's try to record a couple couple ideas. And after a couple of weeks, we would just sit down and browse through, I don't know, like half an hour of music we would have written down that's not even a song or anything, you know, just like parts, you know. And then I'm like, man, that that grind right here, that that would work well with that breakdown we did last week or or two weeks ago. And then, and then we would try to assemble all these musical parts together, and that's how the most of the songs uh, 
came to be on on purgatory so is that yeah, a more, it was a big change for us is that a more easy is that an easier process for you writing wise or is that just you know um take a little bit extra time I, it, it felt it felt way more uh um easier i guess or less painful <laughs> because uh sometimes it's hard you know you, you got that blank page syndrome when you're you have a couple riffs and then you're stuck with them and you don't know what to do with them or what to write as uh, uh, after that you know so so we wouldn't waste any time trying or force anything, which is like, you know what? And and some of these writing sessions would last, uh, I don't know, like 45 minutes or an hour. And some of them would last like three hours because we were in a super good mood and, and into it. And the, the, the inspiration was just flowing out. And But yeah, we didn't want to force anything, you know, some, some nights it would show up and and you know we would smoke a joint and and that was it <laughs> just listening to some of the stuff we did and we were like yeah oh man you know i think we were too high when we wrote that last week it sounds like shit like <laughs> and, and and for every every bits of music you have on purgatory there's at least twice the amount of music that we just deleted you know <laughs> for every riff I, I we kept on on the album there's probably four or five riffs that were wasted <laughs> <laughs> i think what's quite exciting about the album is it feels like there is a there's still the mixture of everything like there's some real um balls to the wall heavy grindy blast beat stuff but then some of the slam breakdown parts uh if not as good, if not better than what's been done before, it it feels like the band just can't put a foot wrong. Uh, especially going back to how Beast was as well. You guys seem to really have the nice momentum. Does that mean that with the way this album feels, the way it felt writing it, that um, you guys will again do something in maybe two or three years' time? Is there still the passion there? Yeah, because um, the vibe is so cool right now. It's so good. I mean, the only thing that could stop us would be, I don't know, like uh, age or uh, physical restrictions. (laughs) Because, uh, I mean, as long as Alex Grind will be able to pound these drums the same way he does now, and and I'll still be able to to pick up the guitar and, and, and... pick riffs that fast uh, we'll, we'll keep on doing it i think you know we have no um we don't feel uh, obligated about anything so i guess that we don't have any pressure uh we just want to keep going as long as we can you know or, or as long as we can uh, physically can um and and at the same time we you know we we adapt ourselves. I know Alex Grind, he doesn't play the drums uh, the same way he did uh, 15 years ago. He he changed his techniques uh, a lot. You know, the, the, now he does those um, double strokes on, on uh, the bass drum pedals where, nice. you know, like he, it's almost as he hits the pedal once, but he, 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 makes, uh, he makes two notes, you know? Mm, so, mm. so he... There's a lot of uh, economy of, uh, of, uh, of of playing, and and he changed the way he set up his drums so he doesn't hurt his uh, shoulders and elbows uh, as he used to, and and yeah, so yeah, we I think we're 
we're trying to put everything in place so we can keep going uh, uh, as long as we as we can. I think also what's quite exciting um, at this stage of the band's career is that you've got the uh, diehard old school fans who remember you from like 2001 to 2003 and then because you're still able to release music that's up to the same scale and as good if not better is that you're also bringing in these new younger fans you've kind of you've created a situation for yourself that you can bring old and new together so that's quite exciting for you guys also yeah it is it is and we're very grateful for that i mean um i remember uh on on this tour we just did um alex he would always take a moment in between songs uh, at the end of the show to uh he 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 does uh, what I call the the the, the survey where he <laughs> he asks uh, the crowd uh, who's seeing the spice icon for the first time tonight and and I'm always amazed that uh, I don't know like three quarters of the room uh, yeah are seeing us for the first time you know it's uh, so I, I guess uh, some of the older fans show up but I think we we gained a lot of newer fans as well and and the, the younger generations. Uh, that discovered us, I guess, maybe way after we broke up. Um, so yeah, so we're very, very grateful for that. You know, well, it's and, and it's an it's an indication that I guess we're still relevant as well. It <laughs> is. It, it the is. day will start. The, the, the day will start to play rooms uh, with twenty or fifty people. Uh, I guess that will be a good indication that it's maybe <laughs> the time to <laughs> to hang the guitar again. <laughs> But it's it is really good because it shows that the band, you know, in, until and if it ever gets to that stage, like you said, like twenty people. But it shows that there is longevity in not only the music you're making, but the way you're touring. So it shows you that how you want it to be fun and how you want it to be on your terms is working, and that that's that's what you want it to be. It's working how you want it to work. Yeah, exactly, and. Um... And I think that's um, that's uh, also part of um, the uh, the success we have because um, you know we create this sort of uh, demand where because I know like some some bands and I'm I don't blame them for this because they gotta make a living out of it and 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 nowadays you you don't make any money with uh, record sales and stuff so you gotta be. You gotta have your ass on the road all the time, but some bands they're they're burnt out because they 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 come by they 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 play my hometown of Montreal maybe four or five times a year. So, I mean, if I if I've seen a band like once in a year, I'm I'm not going to see them like three more times unless I'm a diehard fan. But mm. so I guess the the rarity factor probably helps us out where people know that. Well, if I don't go see the Spies Icon now, uh, it might take up two or three years before they come by again, if they come by again. So, so yeah, that's probably that's probably helped us uh, fill in the venues when we <laughs> we do tours. <laughs> now, kind of, um, I've got kind of like one last question before we look to wrap things up. And you've been into music um, for quite a while now. That's my, polite, that's my polite way of saying you're old. Um, 
And yeah, well, more than half of my life, you know, because <laughs> uh, I'm I'll be 42 next April, and mm. I started to play guitar when I was 12. So yeah, I've been playing music more than half of my life. <laughs> now, not only have you been playing music, but you've been in several bands and Despised Icon as well. Obviously, a a very well known band. And what my question is is with the way the industry is now compared to how it was in the 80s, um, how do you see the industry? Do you see that it's in a healthy state or do you see it's in a struggle, struggling, unsure state? Because nowadays selling physicals isn't really a thing. CDs really isn't a thing. Um, so bands mm-hmm. making money can nowadays be more of an effort. Or do you think now it's in a strong place because you can get your music out to everyone and anyone at the click of a button. Well, it's, I think it's all, it's just a matter of perspective and it depends where, uh, where you're sitting at when you reflect on this, the way you, you, you just brought it because, um, just, for, for from my own experience, you know, if it wasn't for internet or MySpace and and social media that started to to pick up and 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 downloading Napster and whatever software that was going on back then, uh, we wouldn't be the band we're and we wouldn't be where we're at right now. So I want to be careful um, in judging. Uh, how the music industry uh, turned out, you know, because for us uh, is um, it defined who we are as artists, you know, and I'm sure that back in the eighties, you know, even though bands were making millions or selling more records, I'm sure they had their share of um, um, problems or, Mm. or, or challenges, you know, we, it was probably different. It, you know, it was uh, it was harder, I guess, to to get noticed or to be uh, to be seen or heard. Now with internet, it's it's easier, I guess. So, yeah, and and I I I also hear a lot of stuff about that. You know, that uh, those streaming uh, companies like Spotify and, and and Google Music and and Apple Music. But I'm confident that. Um, Music is here to stay. There will always be artists, uh, you know, putting out music, and and I'm sure the music industry will adapt itself to it. I also read an article not too long ago. I think it's Deezer, the company. It's a French company, uh, a streaming company, and they are already changing the the model on how uh, artists are being paid. You know, mm. um, it's uh, it's uh, it's a uh, I'm not sure I'm able to explain it in English, but it's a it's a different way of uh, dividing the shares uh, from streamings for artists. Ooh. So let's say you're uh, if you're paying like I don't know like uh, 15 bucks uh, a month uh, for uh, for uh, Spotify, but you only listen to Despise like on that whole month. Well, your 15 dollars will go straight into. Uh, the, the will go to, toward the spice icon. Ooh. It won't be split in between pop artists or hip hop artists that are uh, having millions and millions of plays, and that the whole company's money will be divided in in who get the more plays. You know, wow. so 
That's great. So I think I think that's interesting. You know, yeah, it is. So I don't know. I, I maybe I'm a dreamer, but if Spotify and Apple Music and Google Music uh, adapt the same business model as Deezer in a year or five years from now, uh, well, that will benefit the uh, the, the the directly the artist, uh, and, and it will help out reshape the music industry. I guess you know. Yeah, fuck it. That is that's quite exciting that a company's doing that. Hopefully, more. Like you said, they get onto that, and um, hopefully, you know, in five years' time, we're looking at that streaming is a great thing because everyone's getting a good share. Um, yeah, exactly. Now, Eric, what I do to um, finish up our chat is I do a little, you know, funny segment. It's called Pick Your Poison. Now, what we do okay. here, <laughs> what I do here is I give you two options. And you pick your favorite of the two. Now, some are going to be easy. Some are going to be hard. All right. All right. I'm down. <laughs> now, would you rather a pizza or a burger? Uh, burger. Okay. Would you rather ribs or brisket? Ribs. Okay. Would you rather a soft taco or a hard taco? Definitely soft taco. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Definitely smooth peanut butter. You're finding these so easy. I love it. Um, it, it is. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm, old, I'm an old man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what you like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. Beer or whiskey? Oh, that's a tough one, but I'll go with the beer. Uh, cook at home or dine out? Definitely dine out. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you like watching movies at the cinema or on the couch? On the couch. Now, the next one should be a simple one because, you know, you live in Canada. Do you prefer the beach or the snow? Oh, actually, I, I, I prefer the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's probably because of my Spanish roots. <laughs> are you a cat or a dog person? Cat. Batman or Superman? Superman. James Bond or Jason Bourne? James Bond. Uh, Term I'm old school. <laughs> Terminator or Predator? Terminator. Rambo or Rocky? Rambo. Slayer or Pantera? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. My God. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, if I think, if I can take a moment, that's the fucking dilemma I always have when I have to free up uh, space on my USB reader in my car for music. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always keep these two folders, like the Panther and the Slayer folder. I'm like, oh, I can't get rid of any of them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know what? If I have to answer, I'll, 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 I'll dive and I'll say Slayer. Okay, these music ones aren't going to get any easier, and you'll see it with this next one. Uh, would you rather listen to Terra or Madball? Uh, Madball. Okay. Uh, cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Uh, 
Oh, well, sorry, Trev and Brian, but I'll have to go with Cannibal Corpse. Suicide Silence or Whitechapel? Mm, Whitechapel. Um, Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. That was easy. That one was easy. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry, Dave Mustaine. Um, yep. Anthrax or Testament? Anthrax. When you're playing a show, would you rather see stage dives going on or would you rather see mic grabs going on? Oh, stage dives. When you go to a show, do you watch it from the mosh pit or up by the sound booth? Uh, sound booth. That's where I always hang. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? Uh, record music for the rest of my life. Now, the last one, if you were to be given your all-time favorite album, would you rather have it on CD, vinyl, or streamed? Um, I think I would go for the cassette. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's old school. I remember that. In my my yellow Sony Walkman. (laughs) Did you have the waterproof one? I had the waterproof one, yes. and I had the the. I also had the 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 version where uh, you didn't have to take out the cassette and put it on the other side. It would like yes. play in reverse or switch side. We didn't, yes. you know, that was that was crazy. <laughs> oh, see, I remember. I had the same. I had the same one, but I also remember. Now the problem with a cassette was if it got jammed and then became loose or caught up then you'd either lose the whole cassette or you'd lose that entire section of a song or multiple songs. Yeah, exactly. You would have to cut out the tape, use some scotch tape, mm. and then like, and then with the pencil, like rewind the, oh. <laughs> the wheels. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, yeah. I don't think kids... That were, that, were the, that were the good old days. <laughs> yeah, I don't think kids understand how hard it was to listen to music back in the day because you upgraded from a cassette Walkman to a Discman and then the discman would skip all the time. Even if it had anti-skip, it would still skip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's why I never really liked the CD format. Uh, I I mean, for me, cassette tapes were more reliable. Mm. And um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's us done, Eric. First thing I got to say is um, I really really appreciate you having the time to chat, but also. Um, just being really relaxed and fun to talk to, man. I really, really appreciate this. Yeah, dude, it's my pleasure. I mean, I had the time to cook dinner for my kids and and <laughs> take out the, the 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 dishes from the dishwasher while talking to you. So. <laughs> it just made the daily the daily chores a little more enjoyable. <laughs> and that's multitasking at its finest. Uh, but thank you again, man. You're an absolute legend. Thanks, man. It's a, it's been a real pleasure, and um, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll speak again. Thanks, brother. All right, take care, man. So you lie and you lie again The next line 
So that was my chat with Eric of Despised Icon. At the end there, you heard the band's tracks Snake in the Grass and Apex Predator. Both of those are from their most recent album, Purgatory. And the final track you heard there was MVP from their album, The Day of Mourning. Now's the part of the show where I spark that little bit inside you to support the artists that have been on the show. So if you enjoyed that chat, if you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your chance. Get online, download some, stream some, whatever it's got to be, get into some despised icon music. When it comes to this kind of music, despised icon are without a doubt one of the pinnacle. You're not going to be disappointed. If you like your physicals, get onto eBay, maybe get onto merch now, all of those things. Grab a CD, grab a vinyl, grab a t-shirt, grab a hoodie, whatever it is. Get some physical stuff in your life. And lastly, if you're living somewhere and you see that Eric and the Despised Icon guys are touring near you, get out to a fucking show. Get in that pit, get out and enjoy what they do. Also need to take this moment to thank Eric again. Thank you again, dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to speaking soon and look forward to seeing you live, hopefully soon in Australia. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 95 done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.